Welcome back to Things You Learn in Therapy. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Trammell, and I am a licensed psychologist and um, speaker, author, consultant. I don't know. I I don't know. I've stopped calling myself all those things and just have kind of started calling myself a, a growth promoter because underlying all the things that I do is really just to help people grow. And whether that's in individual therapy or in the classroom where I'm consulting or doing speaking, I just want people to grow. And I, I want to try to help set the stage for that. So one of the ways that I have kind of dreamed about doing that is to invite other um, amazing therapists, psychologists, clinicians to be on this episode uh, with us. And I have uh, an amazing psychologist here with me today. And I can't wait for you to hear from Dr. Tara Egan um, about her her co-parenting strategies here, because I think co-parenting is a really tough thing to do, even if you are, you know, the most well-adjusted you know, it's an amicable separation and it's still really hard. And I think most times we don't see it that way. So Tara, please introduce yourself to the folks that are listening and um, give us one fun fact about you. All right. Well, my name is Dr. Tara Egan. I am a former school psychologist transitioned to a private practice therapist, and I have always worked with kids and families. And about, gosh, going on 12 years ago, I went through my own separation and divorce. And after, you know, several years of just kind of processing that and seeing that these, these parents out there were, were, were going through this experience, you know, it's obviously really common in families. I just really felt drawn to work with these families because I felt so compassionate and I knew I had sort of endless patience and I could see how, big of a difference it could make for kids and parents in adjusting to the circumstance if they had the appropriate help. And um, so I've, I've, I've really explored that in my practice and I've expanded beyond the therapy into coaching. I do some public speaking. Um, I've got some passion projects going on and um, I have a podcast and probably my fun fact that I'm going to mention is my podcast. It, my co-host is my, my teenage daughter. And her name is Anna. She's 16. And we started this project soon after COVID started and she started doing virtual learning. And I told her, you know, I'm thinking of doing a podcast and I was hemming and hawing. And I was like, would you consider doing it with me? And she was like, oh my gosh, yes. And it's funny because she's actually kind of a quiet kid, a bit reserved, super funny, super smart. So she kind of lives a dual life where she does this podcast with me. She's now we're in like season four. We've got 80 some episodes. She talks to all these talented professionals and then she goes back to her high school life and like nobody really even knows she does it. So it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, you know, so Tara has been on um, on my previous podcast, Kids These Days Need Us to Make Words Matter for Good. And uh, you were just so brilliant in uh, talking about social media and how we kind of help our our teens manage social media that as I was thinking about this new podcast, I just knew you had to be a part of this because your vision and your passion for helping people I mean, it's just so evident. And I love that you incorporate your daughter into kind of your way of, of kind of putting out information. Again, I think we both have this same vision that 
the hope for these episodes is not to replace therapy. And in fact, we both mm-hmm. promote, um, you know, having folks get additional individualized services, but, but really just some preventative things that folks can think about. And if we're still having kind of major struggles, then seeking your own individual therapy or couples therapy is always what we recommend. But as you start thinking about this topic of co-parenting, right. And I know you have lots of expertise here. And I just think about some couples who may be out there listening, who are kind of in that stage of, yeah, things are, are maybe not going so well. Right. And we're kind of considering, um, a a separation period, maybe, you know, maybe we're not talking about the, the big D word yet, but how do we have conversations with our kids about this initial separation period? Yeah, it's tough because there's the logistics that you have to deal with as a team, as far as like, okay, where's everybody going to live? How are we going to figure out our financing, um, schedules, um, messages you're sending family, friends, like there's a lot of logistics, but then there's this like heart wrenching moment when you're like imagining sitting your kid down or kids down and like, what words do you say? Like what emotional tone are you setting? You know? And like, you know, parents will kind of imagine like scenarios of how their child will respond. And it almost never goes that way because it's impossible to predict, Uh you know, how Uh kids are going to view this. So it's, there's, there's times when parents reach out to me and they're, they've made that choice. They're like, we know we're separating. There's too much tension. Like this has to happen. And usually I encourage them to get some of those logistics managed first. Like you don't need to bring this up to the kids, like figure out who's, who's leaving the household are both of you leaving the household and, you know, finding new housing, like, you know, what's the daycare situation? Does anybody have to change schools? Is, does, is there any extracurricular activities that could not be accessible anymore? Like whatever it is, because when you sit down to talk to your kids, they're looking for a couple things. They're looking for your like emotional tone. You know, how are you um, presenting this? Um, How is your sense of, of, you know, calm or, you know, distress, like they're looking for those cues and that cues them on how to react. Yep. And they also want to know about the stuff that pertains to them. Yeah. You know, like, well, when am I going to see mom? Yeah. Is dad going to come to my soccer game? Yep. Is grandma still coming at Christmas time? Yep. Can my friend Ben sleep over? Yeah. And like they, they will have some very self-focused, well, can I bring my turtle? Yeah. And you know, a lot of times those questions are very easily answered. Like, yes, you can bring your turtle. And sure, Ben can always sleep over on the weekends. And, you know, there's some nice reassuring things that kids have on their mind that you can answer right away. Um, They want to know, where am I going to be sleeping? When am I going to see mom or dad next? Like really self-focused questions. So if you are not prepared to answer the questions that are most pertain to your kid, you're probably not prepared to even have that conversation. You're not far enough through your plans for separation. So sometimes parents get a little bit surprised at how the questions can go to so matter of fact, like, well, can Ben sleep over um, versus like a true emotional space of like, you guys aren't going to be together. This means you don't love each other. Other kids, you know, go right to that. And so it's important for parents to not take it personally. If their kid just seems really focused on whether or not they can still go to the ice skating party on Saturday. Um, Or if they do kind of veer off into um, you know, we're not a family, 
you know, we don't love each other, you know, that they can show a responsiveness to their child's emotion. It's absolutely okay if the parent shows emotion too. You know, if you're tearful, if you say, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, this is happening. I know this is really difficult. We're here for you. We love you. Um, I always struggle a bit with the the idea that we have to tell the kids it's not their fault. Because yeah. I have asked kids over and over, like kids who've been through a divorce. And I'm like, did it ever occur to you? It was your fault. And they're like, no, why would it be my fault? <laughs> it's so, it's so, because I think that I thought that too, like, you know, and I talked to my daughter or my son, you know, and they went through this and like, and my kids are like, we had nothing to do with it. And I mean, maybe if you have a kid who is really, you know, struggled with behavioral issues, or maybe they've gotten in trouble with the law or, okay, I could see maybe that question making sense, but I think that parents rush out with this, but it's not your fault. And it's, and I think sometimes like be mindful of that, like cue in and what, what are your questions and, you know, really focus on the fact that you're always going to be their parents, you know, like I'm always your mom. And I remember my own kids, when I told them that their dad and I were separating my daughter being like, so is daddy still going to be my daddy? And I was like, yep. He mm-hmm. is. He's always going to be your daddy. And your heart breaks a little to think that she even had like a two second thought that daddy wasn't going to be her daddy. But yes. she asked the question. I answered her really matter of factly and confidently. And then it never was a thing again, you know? And so kudos to her with her little kid. You know, I want to say she was maybe a first grader at the time, you know, brain to, to ask and to not have, oh, honey, how could you think? You're like, no, yep. Dad's going to always be your dad even if he doesn't live in the same house with us all the time. So I think that's so good. And I, you know, I have sort of started this framework for parents um, really in response to the pandemic and all of the um, kind of things that are going on in our country uh, about preparing first, right? So I have this acronym press, right? Prepare, reflect, explore, share, and then reassure for safety. And so Preparing ahead of time, what is it that we want to tell them? Come up with the logistics, mm-hmm. let them know what this really means, reflect on what your what your child actually needs, right? So, you know, child one may need, you know, to know more about the logistics mm-hmm. and volleyball practice and how are you getting there and who gets access to the car and that sort of thing. But, you know, your, your six-year-old may may need something else. And so in the preparation phase, I also encourage parents to think about reflecting on what each child needs. And then I think the thing I hear from you is also, right, the the first thing to remember is that this conversation is really setting the whole tone for how kids are going to respond to the information, for how they're going to approach this separation. And that's part of what, you know, that the preparing conversation that the couple has ahead of time, even though it's hard, is to stay focused in that lens of we've got to set aside our differences. We've got to be able to have this this conversation with our kids as a team of parents to present this emotional tone of how this is really going to go. So that you're right. 100% is ideal is for parents to be, you know, collaborators in this process. Sometimes that that doesn't happen, especially if there is a stress point like infidelity, mm. some sort of surprising information that's happened. You know, uh, one spouse emptied out the bank account and used yeah. it to buy a bunch of porn. 
whatever. And so they're not necessarily in that same space. Or if one person has decided to leave the other partner and the partner's like, well, you need to tell the kids, you need to tell the kids that daddy has decided to leave them. Mm. And in that situation, it might be a terrible idea to have it be a joint conversation. You know, one parent's going to sit there on the couch crying and their arms folded and, you know, just in a space of, of, you know, misery and grief. And the other parents like, well, mom and I decided, and she's like, I didn't decide anything. Don't tell them that, you know, like that's not a good place. Hopefully we can get to the point through with work by working with a counselor or coach that there can be a focused time. That's very pro child and get through that conversation. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes one parent really does need to leave the house and it can't, we can't wait till everybody's grief is settled out to a point where the conversation is, can be really open and, you know, gentle and reflective. Sometimes that doesn't happen. So, you know, that's, that is a place sometimes I come in of like, what can we do for more sort of damage control? Mm. And it's not about shaming the parent who isn't in that space, but it's let's, let's understand what reality is. Cause even if you have a parent who can muster up a 10 minute conversation that isn't throwing daggers at the other parent doesn't mean that as soon as that parent drives off with their stuff, that that tone is going to be maintained. So sometimes we have to work with what we can work with. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's not meant to be a judgmental tone, but each parent can only be in charge of their own emotions and their own response. And so I tell parents, like, if you sit down and have that conversation and something comes out of your spouse's mouth that wasn't planned or doesn't feel fair, probably a good idea to stay away from the we language and say, well, you know, my thoughts about this, or this is what I'm imagining for us, or I'd like us to, you know, whatever it is, I'd like us to see each other on the weekends and have dinner together. Or my thought is that as we figure this out, um, we might need to try some different schedules and see what works for all of us. Like there's statements like that can, that could be made versus trying to talk for the other spouse who may not appreciate, you know, don't put a, a, a rosy glow on this. I didn't want this. You know, you're lying to the kids. And, um, I've seen it go down like that, which is, is harder than it has to be. But I also understand that's the reality for some families. I'm so happy that you bring this up because I think, I think there's going to be folks who are like, yeah, that conversation is never going to look rosy. I'm not sure we can even be in the same room, even if we're just saying we're separating, right? As you were talking, I was thinking to myself two things. One is, okay, is it better to have one parent have the conversation while the other parent isn't there? Or is it better to say, hey, look, we need to get some coaching. We need an expert in co-parenting to walk us through how to do this well, because it is better that we do it together. I'm kind of like asking both those questions in my mind. How do you respond? I think it's always good to get some support. Yeah, You know, sometimes if you've been a couple who's been going to a marriage counselor and that's part of kind of your process in the marriage counseling, sometimes marriage counselors can support parents, you know, if they've already had a relationship with a, with a marriage counselor, sometimes it is a, a therapist who specifically works with children. Sometimes it's a coach who, who works with, um, families who are going through divorce. Like there's a lot of resources out there where you can get support because sometimes when one parent suggests something, it seems like a really bad idea to the other parent, but if a third party suggests it, 
they can wrap their mind around it a little bit. So that's where it can be really helpful is like, you're just not necessarily in the space to really be reflective and respectful of the other parents' ideas. And if one parent feels like this isn't fair, I'm not ready for this. You're doing something cruel. And the other person's trying to come out with content that seems very wise and very calm, like that can be pretty infuriating and frustrating to the person who feels like their world is upended. So absolutely. I think even if it's going pretty well, having a a session or two of like, what are some things we could consider? Like I spoke to someone earlier this week and um, they decided they could not be in the same co-parenting session, but they both wanted to schedule separate sessions to talk about what it could look like when it came to telling the kids. And so the one parent, we did a little role play. You be, you be your kid and I'm going to be you. And like, you, you tell me what you think your kid might ask you. And I'll show you some ideas about how you could answer the body language you could use, the tone Mm. you could have, some words you could say to sort of have at the ready. So that was really helpful for that, for that mom. Another thing that you touched on, you said something like these conversations are never going to be rosy. Also, it can happen where parents try to like paint Mm -hmm. it as though it's going to be like amazing. Like, just think about it. Oh yeah. You know, dad's going to live at that house in that neighborhood that has the amazing pool. Oh my. And when we go with me, we're going to have like extra space and like grandma can come and visit and like, you know, you're going to have two Christmases because everybody knows that kids whose parents don't live in the same house get two Christmases. And like, you don't need to blow smoke. That is, I find, I think condescending and tone deaf. I think to say, like if a kid says to the dad, so we're going to have another house. Um, am I going to have my own room? Yes, you're going to have your own room. And dad says, well, you know, think about we're going to have to get a few extra things so that you can keep your stuff here that you love at mom's. But there's going to be stuff that I'm going to want you to get at my house that you really enjoy. So think about if there's something you would like, if you'd like to paint your room a certain color. And that might not all happen right in that first conversation, but like that might evolve over the next couple of days. And, you know, you've been really mentioning that you're, you're loving the color purple now, you know, and you could have the option to make your rooms look, look very similar to each house, or you can kind of change things up and show different sides of your personality. So you're not like acting like, wow, aren't you so lucky your parents are divorcing, but you're also able to kind of just reflect on something that could be a little bit of a a small positive or something to, to latch on as a small thing to look forward to in the midst of a lot of confusion. Yeah. When you were talking about this, this idea that sometimes parents fall kind of pray to being like, well, if I just paint it, like it's going to be okay because it's all, there could be some real positive. It's almost like just toxic positivity, you know, and our kids are just BS meter masters. You know, they're like, this is some BS and I don't actually want two Christmases. I really want you to just stay together and love each other and not fight and Mm -hmm. not have to move out. Like kids know that. And so in their minds, even if at least this is what I see. And you can, you can kind of correct me, but what I have seen from the kids that I've worked with, their number one goal, even if parents are arguing is still to have their family the way it's always been. You know, they want mom and dad to stay together. And and they may even say like, I know you argue a lot and I know it's better if we separate or if we divorce, but they're in their little heart of hearts. They still just want parents to be together and love each other and be happy. Yeah. They do. 
when we have a, a home that has a lot more conflict, like if there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, real, real financial distress or chaos, those kids are more accepting and because they have an element of relief of having some of that chaos. Yeah. end. yeah. If the parents have generally been pretty stoic, pretty functional, you know, they might not have role modeled emotional connectedness or affectionate, but they're not screaming at each other. Nobody's stuff is on the front lawn. We know those kids have a much harder time because, you know, they're living their life and, you know, they're not sitting there thinking about whether or not mom and dad are emotionally fulfilled. Um, and so for them, it feels super disruptive, but I have, I have spoken to kids who feel relief when they don't have to come home and worry that there's broken glass or worry that they're one parent's going to be using curse words at the other parent or standing there going, you see how he is. You see how he is, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I can't put up with this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, your dad is a piece of, you know, and all the stuff like that is extraordinarily stressful because kids oftentimes get pulled into parents' arguments. Yeah. Um, it's embarrassing to bring friends over. They don't even want to be on FaceTime because now their parents are screaming in the background. Um, they can't ask about, Hey, can you help me with the math test? Because, you know, one parent is simmering and, all of that, like th- those are not the same experiences for kids when they're going through separation and divorce. If you have that level of chaos versus kind of the quiet, strained relationship. Yeah. And that's why it's also helpful to work with a professional because they can understand the nuances of your particular circumstance. Like for me, it's not required, but when clients approach me, I, you know, we usually have like a an initial intake call. And most of the time, both parents are on that call. And then we have two, two separate sessions and each parent gets to say what they want to say unfiltered. They can be emotional. They can have a moment of being spiteful, you know, and like, I've done this for years. Like one parent tells me the other parent cheated. I'm not like, well, they're a terrible person. You know, it's not like that, but it puts in context, like, where's the trust here? You know, what has the communication been like? What's a real stress point? Like I had a parent recently tell me, like, I'm just so worried that I'm not going to have custody time on the um, anniversary of her sister's death. Mm. And I want us to always be together on that date. And I was like, this is something that absolutely can be managed. Yeah. Like you're living in this fearful place and you're defensive and you're, you're already just like dreading this thing. But like, if you have a need and it's a reasonable need. Cause she said, well, you know, my ex-husband, he's never, you know, needed to have that date, you know, treasured. He's never, you know, and I was like, this is all manageable, you yeah. know, is this is, and that smoothed away. Like once she knew that dad was always going to honor that date, that was the turning point. But had I not had that individual session, I don't know that she would have brought that up specifically. Yeah. We have a range of co-parenting issues based on the level of hurt the the circumstances around uh you know the separation or the divorce and all of those things play a key part in how we're communicating with our kids and i think you're just continuing to highlight the importance of having a professional walk alongside you and one thing that i thought about as you were talking uh, a little bit earlier about co-parenting coaching versus therapy in my mind i picture the couple who is like I am not doing therapy. We've already done therapy. It didn't work. It wasn't helpful. And this separate sort of co-parenting coaching, it may be more enticing for folks and it may feel less scary, right? Mm-hmm. To know 
we're not going to get in and we're not going to get into all of our issues about why things are happening the way they're happening. Maybe they can approach this co-parenting coaching about, okay, how do we have these conversations with our kids? How do we learn how to be together in space, but not necessarily to dig into all the issues? Is that what you're, you kind of help people understand the difference between coaching and, and kind of couples therapy? Yes. Cause it's not, we're in a place to have productive co-parenting. Yeah. And so, you know, sort of the business of parenting. And yep. so like, what's going to be the plan for summer vacation time? Are we going to sign up Johnny for soccer? Does Sarah yep. need an ADHD evaluation? Who's going to be the one who's going to answer all these emails from the dance teacher helping to coordinate things because where it gets frustrating is if you know, one parent's trying to do these child focused things, their co-parent does it differently or maybe is a little less involved than they need or more involved than they need. And it just kind of turns into battles and power struggles and their snide comments, and they don't have a system of how to communicate effectively. And so co-parenting counseling, it's like, it is child focused and it is, you know, like, how are we going to get stuff done? But it's also, how are we going to get stuff, stuff done and have your conflict stay low and your stress levels stay low. And for you to feel like a competent, effective parent, even if you have this baggage with this person, even if you don't like each other now or maybe ever, but you know, there's a season to this. And so I, you know, do put some broader topics, like I'll say, give me some context around why this is such a hot button yeah, issue. Right. Um, so sometimes I hear, well, you know, whatever, maybe they have a new partner or whatever, whatever the ba baggage is. And I'm like, okay, that's helpful for me to know. And, you know, my goal is to have a relationship where the parents feel trusting toward me. So if I offer a suggestion, how about we try it this way, or this is something that's found to be really helpful for other families going through something similar. Can we try it? I hope they feel supported. They feel like I have good ideas. They feel like I'm looking out for who they are as people you know, in their personalities and their pain points versus like, you need to walk this off. I know he slept around on you 10 times, but like, we got to talk about Sarah and Johnny right now. Like nobody needs to feel dismissed. Nobody needs to, mm. you know, feel like their entire experience with this person, you know, you just need to get over it. It's, it's not like that at all. And some families, they work with me one or two sessions and then they turn the page on this part of their life and they, and they go back to their life. Others, it's something where, we work, we have a longer term relationship, you know, they might have monthly meetings or they might come back and have a session or two when there's kind of a new hot topic. Like, well, we're debating changing Sarah's middle school, or now Johnny wants to have a cell phone. And how do we have the rules around that? Or one of us is thinking of having a new partner move in. How do we have the kids be adjusted? What can the co-parent do to support their kids and adjust to the changes and you know all of that. So sometimes topics come up and they kind of come in and be good communicators about it and kind of figure out where the boundaries are and where there needs to be collaboration. And then they move on out. So it, it's meant to be a very fluid, responsive process. It's not like you need to do this many sessions and you need to see me this mm. often. And this is what you have to talk about. And this is where I anticipate all the problems. Like, it's not meant to be like that because every, every family is so different. And then we have to factor in, like, does one of the ch children have a disability? Mm -hmm. You know, like, is there, are, is one of them failing school? Um, is one of them being bullied online right now? And that's really factoring in. Did one of them just get diagnosed with a, with some sort of health issue that we need to also factor in to how you co-parent co-parenting can change dramatically. If one of the, one or more of those circumstances 
comes up. And so my job is to help parents be able to adjust to that and feel effective and also manage the emotions that come up with having your kid be struggling. So good. As we kind of started this conversation, we started by saying, okay, let's say you're a person who isn't necessarily thinking about divorce. You're just stepping into separation right now. How do we have that conversation? I wonder if you would have any different conversation if the couple already knows we're divorcing. Does it shift or is it really still, hey, we're still setting the emotional tone. We're really still preparing for kind of the logistics of things. Like how does it or does it, I guess, shift for 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 parents who know we're actually getting divorced. So now how do we tell the kids this? Well, you know, in most states, you have to be separated for a period of time, you know, like, like a year. So there's really no point in like talking about something that is really a legal process. It's a paperwork thing. Um, the separation is really where kids are impacted. You know, that's right. when their, their life and circumstances shift. Right. So to focus on, you know, this is a separation and give them a chance to kind of take a breath, see what that looks like. There is some shifting around, like orchestrating how this is going to look and what logistically can be managed with parents' work schedule and extended family and all those things. And so like, I don't, I don't know that the word divorce needs to be brought up immediately. I think that kids, it's just one step at a time, let them take a breath, let them get used to the fact that there's going to be two houses or they're not going to see dad every weekend or, or whatever, and, and worry about that. And then a lot of times parents will, it's just kind of an easing into the conversation. You know, I'll, I had recently, um, a, a kid who was really, he really struggles with the D word. Like that feels like a, a closure or finality that he doesn't feel super ready to talk about, mm. but he'll say, mom, I think when you buy a house, cause they're renting a house, I think we should get a dog because, you know, dad never really likes dogs, but like we could get a dog at our house. And like, he clearly is imagining a world in which mom and dad are not getting back together. Mom is going to move on from a rental to a purchased home. And he's imagining that home with a dog in it. Like he's in a space that that D word conversation isn't going to feel so scary. Yeah. So some of those things, like the logistics, some of those things are adult things, you know, the, like, I don't want any kid to be able to be like, my parents got divorced on March 13th, 2023. Like that's silly. They can tell you my parents split up when I was in first grade Yeah, when I was in seventh grade or the summer before I went to eighth grade. Like they have that to know your parents' divorce date and when papers were signed. Come on. That's an adult thing. Kids don't need to know anything about that. So I don't know. I think, I think they're and for little kids. They don't even, some of them don't even have any context for the word divorce. You know, it's like, if they've seen something on TV, do they have a friend or a cousin whose family's divorced? Maybe they have some context then. I know when my kids were little, the D word was was not relevant. Yeah. Like that would have just been a grown up word. That's good. I hope that's really helpful for folks out there who are like struggling with that divorce word too, just even in their own lives. So mm-hmm. um, you actually provide some of these, uh, you know, co-parenting coaching sessions. I know that you have lots of information about that on your website. I actually started clicking around and, um, and found those services myself. I don't need them, thankfully, right? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need Good. them, but um, I know that you, you do those things. And you mentioned this passion project. Tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. That's it's, it's going to it's going to veer a little bit from this conversation, but 
I do work with a lot of high conflict families where there's a lot of like legal stuff going on, custody battles. There are times that I'm asked to testify and that's only under my, or within my role as being a therapist. So it's specific here to North Carolina. Um, I have a much um, more intense, you know, role with families that I'm doing therapy with versus offering co-parenting coaching. So I do want to, I do want to just mention that, Yeah. but in the process of working with these high conflict um, co-parents, it's come to, you know, both through experience and um, just who I've connected with as far as my colleagues, that there is a phenomenon called post-separation abuse. Mm. And for parents who have been in a really unhealthy, abusive relationship with their partner, they're now in the process of separating. We can, we can sometimes think, okay, well, if they are living in separate houses, like whew, we made it through the worst of it, you know, like whew, we're turning the page, we're in the healing path. Yeah. But oftentimes in families where there's been chronic abuse, it actually gets more dangerous. Yeah. And so in this process of supposed separation abuse cycle, as I'm, as I'm terming it, and it's, I do want to give credit to an organization called one mom's battle, who's really done a fantastic job in introducing this concept to parents out there and to therapists. But my, our goal is me and a colleague named B, B Cote, who's been on my podcast. She was on this just this week. Um, but to really make sure that other professionals, specifically family lawyers, have access to information about this and to see the signs of it, to know how to guide their clients, to recognize when it's happening. Because sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's, you know, bringing back your co-parent again and again to custody, you know, hearings, Mm -hmm. making a lot of accusations. Sometimes it's isolating that co-parent from former friends and family and neighbors. You know, maybe it's erasing the co-parent's name on the teacher form and they don't get all the emails. Sometimes it's putting a tracker on their car just to follow them around and see what they're doing. And then kind of have this kind of creepy knowledge about things that leaves the other parent mystified. Like there's just a lot of ways that the stress and abuse can really be ramped up during the post-separation period. And we just really want to get the information out there because it's subtle. You know, we're not talking about the guy who's coming up to the, you know, woman's door and breaking into the house and hitting her in front of the children or, or anything like that. We're talking about somebody who leaves a bad review for your business online or somebody who is, um, you know, messing with child support payments just enough to cause their co-parent to be in distress, but not enough to be held in contempt, you know, and there's just some things like that, that we've got to make sure that people, the helpers, right. The people who are trying to be the helpers in a divorce or separate or separation, um, circumstance have the information to really be a helper. And so we're, we're just getting started off the ground We're we're, we'd really like to create like the gold standard. Mm for training on this topic. And so we're, we're getting our resources together. We're kind of putting together a team. We're approaching the attorneys that we know here in North Carolina and seeing, you know, where's your interest in this? Where do you, where are your questions? Um, so that we can really create something that's, that's comprehensive and helpful and able to be generalized to, to lawyers across the nation to help these families. And it can go both ways. It can go, you know, towards the male partner or female partner, you know, what research tells us is that it's more often experienced by women. Um, but there's a lot of things that we can do to be supporting these families. I mean, supporting the abuser as well as the abused. And yeah. then of course, supporting the children who are, who are experiencing the fallout. So that's my passion project. It's a little bit different than what we talked about today, which is really for 
more the mainstream couple who is able to be going through this process with more kind of health and, and, and hope. Um, but it's, it's an important topic and little by little, I just want people to know about it. I think it's brilliant. I, I know there's a need, you know, and, and unfortunately not everyone knows there's a need because so often the folks who experience it, experience it in silence. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the beauty of what, you know, this resource you're, you're working on creating with your colleagues. I think that's, I think that's why it's so important is both well, for the helpers, for the person to feel empowered and like, they're not crazy and that they're not the only one who's experiencing this level of perpetual torment. That's a really good term for it. And I think that sometimes people are experiencing post-separation abuse. Like they don't, they don't know what it is. They know it doesn't mm-hmm. feel well. Mm-hmm. You know, they, like you said, they can feel paranoid. They can feel crazy. They can feel, you know, they're being told that they're overreacting or, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're mentally ill or you're yep. paranoid. And like, nobody wants to hear those words when you're like, I know, you know, when you find out there's a video of you from your bathroom that somebody tells you they saw and you're like, huh? What? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. there it's just, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And we we've got to have people mo- know more about it, both from the perspective of the people experiencing it, as well as the people who have some, um, power or knowledge to help thwart it. And so, yeah. like I said, it's something that's just really come up, like I said, with me working with the high conflict couples, you know, there can be some vindictiveness. There can be, you know, significantly overstepping boundaries. You know, there could be issues of, of not having everyone be safe and feel safe. Okay. So everybody who is listening, this is how you can find Dr. Tara Egan and all of her work, because I know for sure, like just continuing to follow, you know, what are you, what are you learning? What are you putting out there? Tell folks how they, how they can catch all of this great information you're going to be sharing. My website is www.drterraegan.com. When you go to that website, you can access parent coaching services. You can find the link to my podcast, which is called One Day You'll Thank Me. And that's the podcast I mentioned earlier in this episode that I co-host with my daughter. And there's quite a bit of information there about co-parenting and divorce, but it's not, that's not only what it is. I mean, we get to talk to professionals about all sorts of topics because selfishly, right. I'm this parent who wants my kid to have exposure to all sorts of topics that could be relevant to her. So we just really like, think, what are we interested? And we find an expert to talk to us about it, but you can, we try to give titles that are, that explain what the, the episode is about. So scroll, scroll through and pick the ones that feel relevant to you. Um, I'm an author and I've written three parenting books. Those can be, you can link up to Amazon, um, from my website, you can go to Amazon and just type in Tara Egan, E-G-A-N and find those resources. I try to have a nice amount of free accessible material as well as if you're able to, you know, work more in depth with me. Um, but I really do appreciate people, you know, going to my YouTube channel, you know, which is at Dr. Tara Egan you know, looking at my Instagram, I have a fantastic social media person right now. Her name is Beth Wolf. She digs in. She listens to every episode. She creates compelling videos. She makes sure that people, even if they don't listen to the entire episode, still have so much introduction to the concepts that we're talking about over and over. Visit my Instagram, go to my website, listen to the podcast, 
you know, check out the YouTube channel. Like there's a lot of opportunities to get information so you can figure out, you know, what's the next best step for your family. Doesn't have to be me, but it might be. And I know that you also link to so many resources too for, um, for this topic. And I, and I love that. And I'm so thankful that you said yes to being here um, and to, to talking with me again. This is a, a different podta- podcast, but um, I'm just glad you said yes. And for anyone who is interested in following any of the work that I do, my website is makewordsmatterforgood.com. Um, I do a lot of other parenting stuff, but certainly not um, the in- intensive co-parenting stuff that, um, that Tara's talking about. But Tara, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing all of this. I, I know folks will walk away with uh, you know, both really helpful things if they're in this situation, but also even if folks aren't in this situation, I think, I think realizing that these situations exist is an important awareness for all of us. Well, and sometimes, you know, so much of this conversation, of course, is that he's ta- discussed co-parenting with a parent that you are separating from, but in reality, we co-parent in, you know, in homes where there's not a divorce on the horizon. Like, yeah. I work with a lot of families who are like, we don't know how to discipline these kids and we're arguing or we're on the opposite, you know, she's really strict and I'm really permissive. And like, so even though in the, in the context of this episode, we're talking about co-parents who are not a couple co-parenting. I mean, unless you're a single parent who's doing it completely on your, on your own, which then you still need some support by the way. Um, you know, there's a lot of families that work with me and they specifically say, we want co-parenting coaching it's not, it's not about getting divorced. It's about making sure there's harmony within their household and cohesiveness and consistency for their kids. So those are the people, if you're not going through divorce or separation, you could still be in a situation where being able to co-parent more effectively with your spouse could be incredibly helpful to your home life. It's such a good reminder to, I mean, I think it's great to end here and for folks to to hear here at the end of this. And it's like, yeah, all of the stuff in co-parenting is just good for co-parents. I mean, you know, no matter your situation, it's like whoever you are raising kids with co-parenting can still be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you having me on. You have a great podcast and hopefully people will find this really helpful. I'm excited to share uh, this episode. And I know that there are so many things that uh, today we talked about that are things we learn in therapy. And so thanks for listening, folks. And uh, until our next episode, Stay safe and stay well.